Greetings, friends. Sam Rajovsky here, your host of The What's Right Show. Happy Monday to you all. Hope you've had a great weekend. I uh, am, well, I'm reporting back after a, what I would say is very busy last several days. Uh, as I was, um, I mentioned on Friday that I would be attending uh, this year's RJC uh, Convention Leadership Council Summit here in Las Vegas, which I in fact did. I was I was there um, all of, bit of a Thursday night, uh, a little bit on Friday, and then all day on Saturday. So I want to report back to you on that. Now, the RJC, the Republican Jewish Coalition, uh, is a, um, a, a, a group, obviously, in its name, is an um, advocacy group for uh, Jewish issues in Israel here within the U.S., but, uh, but, but certainly one that is well, it's, it's, it's where the conservative Jews are, which, of course, I just don't understand at this point, with everything that is going on, how anyone of Jewish ancestry can be a Democrat. I mean, that's a fact. I'm, I'm, it, it, it blows my mind, but I'll get more to that in a moment. So I, I will take you through the event. On Saturday morning, we had, I mean, we heard from all the major Republican candidates uh, well, that was interesting, and I'll, I'll, I'll take you through that. But the event culminated in a tremendously powerful speech by a gentleman named Ellie Beer. Now, Ellie Beer is a, a remarkable humanist. This is somebody who uh, deserves – well, let me, let me tell you a little bit about his background. He's a, he, he founded a, a company, a group called United Hatzalah, and this is a – volunteer paramedic group operating within Israel. I think they have over 2,000 volunteers. At any rate, this group was the first on the scene following the attacks of October 7th. This is big, right? So these are, this this group, these are volunteer folks, Israelis, among them many Arab Israelis as well, who uh, in the normal course and scope of, of business respond to heart attacks and, and other medical emergencies, not just uh, terrorist acts, but they obviously October 7th were, were inundated with phone calls to their service center and began dispatching folks all around the afflicted areas in southern Israel. And so uh, this, this gentleman spoke to us uh, right here in Las Vegas, describing he'd come from Jerusalem for this meeting. Uh, and he, I, I'll be honest with you, what he described is nothing short of, of just absolutely horrendous. You know, I have to say, when, when Hamas is described as animals, they're not animals. These people are monsters. And there is a difference Obviously, several of their volunteers were killed in the line of duty. The second to die was an Israeli Arab who was shot and killed simply, bef- simply because he had the Israeli flag on his vest. The atrocities that were committed in this attack 
are 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 unspeakable. I I will tell you that as I as I sat there, I I don't know if there was a single person, male or female, that wasn't in tears. When I was listening to the firsthand description of what was discovered in the aftermath of the October 7th attack. Um, I, I was so profoundly affected by it that I had to, at the, at the end of a beer speech, I had to excuse myself and, and, and go to the men's room. And I am not somebody, folks, that breaks down and cries in public. So let me take you through this here because I, uh, you know, I, I think this is an important part of the conversation about where we move forward from here. The more I think about the Israeli-Palestinian problem, I, I come to the conclusion that there is simply no possibility, no way for a, for a two-state solution to exist. I think it's a myth. I think it's a left-wing fantasy. As I've said before, you cannot coexist with people who want you dead. You can't, you can't coexist with people who prioritize your death over their life. You can't coexist with people that do the kind of things that were described to me on Saturday night. You can't do it. Israel, if it is to survive, has to delineate borders that are theirs and get every hostile actor from out of those borders. I don't know what that looks like. But at this point in my book where I'm concerned, and this is my opinion only, Israel needs to do whatever it takes so that something like this never happens again. Now, why did it happen? And there are, you know, again, we're going to find out more as we continue through this and figure out the extent to which the security services uh, failed, the military failed, everyone failed to predict this attack happening. But I, I will stake my claim as I did in the immediate aftermath of this earlier in the month. I, I believe so strongly that the most dangerous, uh, just I, I can't be more emphatic, the most dangerous thing to the survival of Israel or the most dangerous enemy of Israel is leftism. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, there's leftism within Israel. There's leftism within the Jewish community. There are excuses, apologies, sympathies made for the enemy on a routine and regular basis. And through a relatively long period of peace, a lot of which Donald Trump deserves credit for through his presidency and diplomatic endeavors, uh, there's an increasing amount of, of apathy of, I would say, you know, folks you know, began you know, out of sight, out of mind, began to dismiss the threat and indulge in luxury beliefs for which they couldn't afford. You can't afford to have the kind of luxury beliefs that liberals have in this country when, you know, two, three kilometers away, there are people pulling up water pipes, foregoing running water, foregoing irrigating their crops, foregoing 
lifeline to sustenance for the express benefit of building rockets to kill your children. You can't afford to be overcome with passion for the enemy or, or sympathies for the enemy. Can't do it. And that's the that's that's the rub here. I mean, that's the that's the cause of this because within Israel and certainly within the international community, you heard it. I mean, what was this two weeks before the attack itself? Uh, the the Biden administration was 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 literally patting itself on the back, saying things are so quiet in the Middle East. Look at how wonderful this all is. And there's no doubt that within Israel itself, the same mentality existed. It doesn't matter how much land is given to the Palestinians. It literally doesn't matter. You could give it all to them. You could give up. Israel could give up half of its territory tomorrow. It would not appease any of these people, which is why these folks do what they do. And their sympathizers in the West run around with their from the river to the sea business because they want Israel wiped from the face of the earth. So compromising with somebody starting at that position is impossible. It absolutely is not a tenable policy. And if these people, and we continuously are told there's no there's big difference, there's daylight between Hamas and ordinary rank-and-file Palestinians, well, fine. That might be the case with some. But as a group... Uh, these are these are people who absolutely are dedicated to the destruction of Israel and 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 compromising and negotiating and otherwise uh, coming to terms with them is is impossible. There's only one thing that these people will understand, and that's force. Now, this is a, a, a deeply unpopular thing to say because, of course, in today's world, we we are all about our feelings. We're all about being compassionate. For years, this wokery infected even our own party. You remember how in vogue it was for a period of time to declare to the world that we were we were supposed to be compassionate conservatives. That was the it was no, it was a thing. We would we would people would go around, Republicans would go around and say, No, I'm not one of those Republicans. I'm a compassionate Republican. Which of, of course was a neat way of telling everybody that you'd been lobotomized. And that the stuff you believed you didn't really believe and you didn't want conflict with people, you weren't willing to say something unpopular for fear of disturbing the peace. And so we had a generation of Republicans come out of this nonsense, refusing to disturb the peace and at the expense of principles, make compromise after compromise on all sorts of fronts. And this is precisely the conclusion that I've 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 drawn from this weekend and of course yes I will I will back into this with some 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 details here as we continue through the program but my my one the two state solution is a myth I I mean I've I've believed that for a while uh, but but the other part of this is that I I just I I am convinced more than ever that it is absolutely inappropriate for the U.S. on any level to tell Israel what it can and cannot do. It is not our place. Yes, Americans died in this conflict, but Israeli territory was invaded. 
in the most barbaric and unspeakable way by monsters. And so any efforts by this administration, even some Republicans, Democrats in particular, the UN, to tell Israel to hold on and moderate and and cease fire and this and the other is, um, is, is absolutely inappropriate. Israel needs to do right now what it ought to frankly have done earlier. And we'll see how this all, all works out because some of the plans, Naftali uh, published some of the some of the plans to the extent that this is true or not. I can't I can't verify, but but it was from his account, and he said, "Look, we're going to create a, a security perimeter. We're going to go what two three kilometers into the border, and 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 basically, you know, go go kind of create a DMZ zone, if you will, between between Gaza and and Israel proper. That's fine. I mean, whatever they need to do needs to be done. We need to stay the hell out of it. It is war, and the war was declared by these despicable." beasts there's no other word for it now if you think my language is too too harsh play a clip here when we come back from ellie beer talking about some of the things that he and his team witnessed in the immediate aftermath of october 7 i think it's worth listening to i will of course give you a warning before i play the tape if you have kids in the car i suggest that you turn the radio down for a minute when i play this but you do not want to miss this you need to hear this because this is the stuff that they are telling journalists in the West. This is the stuff that they're, you know, when they're having these closed-door meetings and showing people video and imagery and, and, and witness statements of what occurred in this attack. This is what they're telling the media. And people are leaving these meetings. Hardened journalists are leaving these meetings uh, in tears. And I, I can tell you I have, I'm, I'm not at all surprised. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. 702-820-1234, the only law firm to trust for your injury case. Don't go anywhere. You do not want to miss a minute of today's show. Be back in a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Friends, welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Now, as I sat at the RJC summit on Saturday, a number of people began receiving word from their loved ones, in some cases sons, daughters, grandkids, serving in the IDF that they would be turning off their, their phones in preparation for, for battle. One son told his father, I'll be going offline for, for three weeks, so you're not going to hear from me, but uh, we're, we've got this handled, Dad. We're, we're, we're going in soon. So, of course, it, it um, is a little bit more personal of a context when you see the news, you see the headlines yesterday and today as Israel now uh, has uh, IDF forces. Some have moved as close as to the outskirts of Gaza City and are making uh, progress incursions into the territory there. To understand that these are um, these are these are young men and women fighting for their country, and 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 they belong to people. 
some of whom we we know and we we love and and have as have as friends here in our midst. So I want to I mentioned just you know before the break, and I, I want to get to it here is and forgive me, this is just tremendously difficult to to talk about, but it's important to talk about because it frames this entire situation and I believe gives context to the type of enemy that Israel is dealing with. And it is very easy for those of us who are comfortable within the confines of our urban or even suburban life here in America to, to, to opine about what, what should and shouldn't happen. But if you had an enemy like this on your doorstep, if we, for example, here in Las Vegas had um, in, in Arizona, just across the state border, people who are capable and willing and desiring to commit this kind of evil upon us, I, I don't know if we would ever rest easy going to bed at night. A reporter for the New York Post, Kelly Jane Torrance, wrote uh, about her visit last Friday to the Israeli consulate, where she was invited along with 20 or so other journalists to witness the 45-minute footage horror reel. I don't know how else to describe it. And, you know, she talks about how this was all recorded by the perpetrators that Iran and Hamas, Hezbollah, they wanted this published. They wanted this to be out there. And she describes, you know, that she'd been a movie critic herself, uh, the journalist writing for the New York Post, and, and this screening was something that, like she's never experienced. Now, as a journalist covering war and covering atrocities, she writes, I've learned how ugly the world can be. I've spent a few weeks in Ukraine. I have saw story after story of the indignities and inhumanity of Russian occupation. I've, interv- I've interviewed Iranian esca- escapees from Tehran's notorious prison for dissidents, including a young brother and sister, tortured in front of each other. But human beings still have the capacity to shock. If one can call Hamas members human beings, I'll long be haunted by what happened October 7th. Now, she described, they, they sent the journalists and, of course, took away their cell phones or Apple watches, uh, go to a closed screening. The, the consul general himself, the diplomat in charge of the consulate there in New York, was, was not able to stay for the entire screening. There's a description of a, not a description, a video of a, family huddled together, a grenade thrown, a father killed, boy blinded, the attackers come, kill one of the remaining boys, the other one gets away, survives, I guess, physically, no doubt will be haunted by this for the rest of his life, burned bodies, signs of torture, raped women on camera, horrendous stuff. So when we come back, I, you know, I had a chance to hear from Eli Beer, uh, Ellie Beer, excuse me, the Hatzalah Ambulance Director in Israel. I, I'm going to play a clip of what he described firsthand, of what he saw in the aftermath of October 7th, 
Don't let anybody tell you that this needs to be a proportional fight or somehow Israel needs to be bound to some conventions. This is absolute, unspeakable, horrible stuff. Sam Merchofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Rarely wrong, always right. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, your host of the What's Right Show. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, the only law firm to trust in Nevada and beyond because you deserve what's right. Now, uh, over the weekend, had the pleasure, the honor of attending the RJC, uh, had a, uh, oh, oh, it was, it was a, I'll get to some of the political stuff here in the second hour. I had a chance, yes, I had a chance to sit down with, with Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, so I want to tell you about that. Got a little bit of insight into how uh, the budget, the looming budget deadline for the, well, it's coming up 17th of November. That's when the last CR ushered in by Republicans, then still led by Kevin McCarthy, will expire. So uh, I'll give you some, some inside scoop on that. Sat at one of the dinners with uh, with Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, with Miriam Adelson, who is uh, just a wonderful uh, human being and a great philanthropist, uh, a widow of Sheldon Adelson. So I had a, a very, very interesting time with some incredible people. But nothing in the last three, four days has touched me equally to what was said um, in a speech by Ellie Beer, Ellie Beer is the founder of United Hatsala. This is an ambulance company, volunteer uh, force of, of paramedics that operate throughout Israel. And these are the people that were the first responders on the scene after the October 7th attack. The second volunteer, it bears noting, the second volunteer of their force that was murdered that day was in fact an Israeli Arab volunteering his services for Israel. And he was killed simply because he had the Israeli flag on his vest. Now, there are a lot of people right now in the media talking about this attack as a military action. And in the same breath, demanding that Israel moderate itself in its military response. Nothing here, nothing can be remotely described as a use of appropriate military force. What these Hamas monsters did is nothing short of unspeakable. Now, I'm only playing you, I'm only playing you a small clip of what Beer said to us Saturday night. Now, I left this event at 11, my, my table at 11.15 at night. Uh, most political events, trust me, most political events do not take this long, do not go this late. This one went late because of the 
oh, the heaviness of what was being shared. Now, if you have uh, folks, if you've got kids listening right now, is uh, probably a good time to take a minute and a half break from this program. I'm just, I'm just warning. It's a family program. I get it. I, I have kids. Although I will tell you that everything that Ellie Beer shares in this tape, I shared with my own kids last night at dinner. My kids are, you know, ten, twelve, and. 16 and you know and and you know this is the this is the world you ha- you have to you, you can't leave you can't live in ignorance of any of this stuff so this is um this clip will be just a minute what is this robbie a minute and a uh, minute 10 uh ellie beer of israeli ems organization united hustle describing some of the things that he and his team saw in the aftermath of october 7th We saw the most horrific things. I saw in my own eyes a woman who was pregnant, four months pregnant. She was in a little village, a little kibbutz. They came into her house in front of her kids. They opened up her stomach. She was pregnant. They opened up her stomach, took out the baby and stabbed the little tiny baby in front of her and then shot her in front of her family. And then they killed the rest of the kids. These are not regular enemies. These are not regular situations. I saw little kids who are beheaded. We didn't know which head belongs to which kid. I was crying for five days straight. I couldn't get out. I couldn't stop crying. Seeing little children, some of them had grandparents who were Holocaust survivors and they were murdered in a Holocaust in Israel in 2023. Little babies, little children. You couldn't even recognize if they were kids. They couldn't, we couldn't even recognize. We saw a little baby in an oven. They put him in, these bastards put these babies in an oven and put on the oven. We found the kid a few hours later. That's just a taste. I don't know about you, but when I heard this, when I was sitting there, uh, 20 feet from from Ellie and, and having just had a conversation with him an hour before at lunch um, I, I, I can't even I can't even begin to describe to you um, how challenging it was for me to, to keep it together now why is this this particular these particular remarks, by the way, received a degree of media attention uh, and have, have been spreading throughout you know, the news and social media uh, since, since Saturday night. Now, I, was, I was there, I witnessed this firsthand, and I went home yesterday, and I, had, I, 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 I really was so affected by this. But as I'm going through the news, I'm, can you imagine, for example, that a Palestinian professor who the New York Times, one of the darling of the New York Times, the Rafat Alir, called what Ellie Beer says Zionist propaganda. And in response to the tweet a journalist put out describing Ellie Beer's remarks, wrote, with or without baking powder. referencing to those babies that were burned alive in ovens or that one child that was found. 
No, I'm just letting that sink in. There are people delighting in this. And it bears saying, why in God's name on earth would we want to import a single one of these people into this country? Their values are holy and entirely and without doubt at complete odds with ours and with all of Western civilization. There are no words for it. Now, in October 12th, uh, so five days after this attack, you know, the Young Turks, Cenk Uyghur and Hassan Piker. Well, here's the Young Turks, Hassan Piker, talking about how these settler babies deserved it. Ethan Klein, who's an Israeli-American, tries to push back on this. And um, Piker, this, this, this monster sympathizer just keeps going can't you can't you can't you can't even this isn't this isn't reasonable stuff listen this is going to sound very radical and possibly very violent but this is a matter of law and maybe even if you agree with this a matter of morality palestinians have the the legal ground to violently seize back their own homes from the settlers. This is a reality, and that is precisely the reason why they have to exist under endless occupation in the West Bank. You know Bank. what? And that's why I say, if it was settlers, that would be a lot more understandable. Yeah. But let's not obfuscate, okay? I understand what you're saying, but this dude just called babies militants. No, I, I understand. And there are baby settlers as evil. well. But there are baby settlers as well. There are babies in the settlements. Okay, just so you know, there are people here, Democrats and specifically, like Mr. Piker here, Hassan Piker, who thinks that this is absolutely appropriate, who, who thinks this is defensible. You know, it stops at some point being just narrowly about Israel and just narrowly about Jews. I'm not Jewish. But I recognize full well, it's obvious to me, that a guy like Hassan Piker, if he is able to view this situation through this lens, see what was happened, hear the firsthand accounts, not even dispute these accounts, right? He's not, he's not, he's not pushing back at the veracity of the information that he has five days after October 7th. He's not pushing back. He is saying flat out that it's justified. Anyone that says that this is justified is not worthy of living in the United States of America or anywhere in the West. Now he's, I think this guy's a, a you know, born U.S. born citizen. So you know, it's uh, he's here to stay. I'm just telling you, this isn't a political ideology. Th this this person is a is, um. It's just unfit for, 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 for civil society. I mean, I, I have no words for this. I have to take a quick break. I know it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I, it, it's, but I want this to be said now because, because Israel has gone in. They're, they've entered Gaza. They're getting close to Gaza City. I saw a report 
moments ago. They're, they're, they're pumping purple smoke into the Hamas tunnels and blowing to smithereens anywhere that that smoke comes out, right? Because those are the openings. Those are places where they've got to neutralize and completely destroy this underground terrorist network built with the millions and millions and millions of dollars of foreign aid that was intended to help people. But of course, even the people preferred to kill Jews over building better lives for themselves. You cannot reason with this. You cannot negotiate with this. The only answer to this is force. Get the hell out of the way. I'm saying this to the West and every sympathizer with Hamas that's out there. Step back. Let Israel do this. You'll see. This is this has to end. There is no there's there are no there are no ifs, ands, or buts. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, the What's Right Show will continue after this. All right, welcome back. The What's Right Show is on, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Friends, uh, just covering some some heavy heavy bits of information and I recognize that I'm I'm forgive me I I I don't want to be a downer but today as the world begins to clamor for Israel to take a measured approach in Gaza it's important to go back to the fundamentals of what happened on October the 7th and recognize that Israel was not just attacked in a military invasion the way the New York Times and Washington Post would have us believe, but that they were briefly and violently overrun by genocidal monsters. These were not acts of war as it is described by so many in the mainstream media. These are not... This is not the work of of a resistance, a noble resistance, as all the pro-Palestine Hamas sympathizers in this country would have us believe. This is, this is, it's indescribable almost, monstrosity. I shared a clip just before the break of, of, uh, of Ellie Beer talking about the things that he and his volunteer, uh, EMS workers found in southern Israel as they went from kibbutz to kibbutz uh, helping, trying to save people who'd been shot, stabbed, burned, raped, describing a baby that had been put in an oven and left to cook alive. This grandchild great-grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Let that sink in. Something this barbaric occurring in 2023. I think all these spoiled, Harvard, Yale-educated, Middle Eastern, whatever they are, brats, have no idea of what this... What this is. I can't even... I mean, I... It's 
there's it's not even them it's it's the it's all the it's all the white i love the, the my favorite are the white people that come out the white libs that come out and they're they are so full of it they don't even know what these expressions mean that they're shouting at these rallies you know this they're not even they're not even saying wow he's it's not, they're not like one of those young Turks guys saying, oh yeah, dead babies, perfectly fine. They're settler babies. It's excusable. It is war. Yeah, Hassan Piker, October 12th, five days after the attack. These are baby militants. They're settlers, baby settlers. They're babies in settlements, perfectly fine to put them in ovens and burn them alive. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you believe it? So on Sunday, uh, a reporter for the Israel Israel Advocacy Movement attends a UK pro-Palestinian rally. This might as well be a Hamas front organization here. They're, they're organizing all this. And, and the reporter kind of go, goes up and asks one of the protesters, just a nice white dude, you know, what do you, what do you make of this, right? What, do you know what these chants mean? Because that's the real thing here. Do you even know what it is that you are advocating for? Listen. They were just chanting there from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Is that a chant you agree with, disagree with? I think that chants and um, rhetoric aren't necessarily reflective of everyone's belief. Yeah. So, for example, yeah, from the river to the sea, of course I've chanted it. Do I think that all Israelis should be pushed out of the country or Jews or should be treated like this? Or, no. Do you know which river and sea they're talking about, by the way? I don't know the name. Uh, the, the river, uh, uh, I know the Mediterranean, it would be the sea, but no, I wouldn't know the river now. This Yahoo leftist punk snot-nosed kid, though he's a grown A-money-money money man, but whatever, snot-nosed liberal has no idea what he's even saying from the river to the sea. So imagine you're out there, you're chanting basically death to Jews, the end of Israel. Like, oh, I don't really know what it means. I'm just having a grand old time here. Um, expressing myself. I don't I don't think all Jews should go away and disappear, eh, but I'm just having a great time at this party. Uh, sir, do you have any idea which uh, sea or river it's referring to? Eh, not really. I guess, you know, like the Mediterranean-ish, adjacent, whatever. Yeah, it's starting to be pretty obvious to anyone with half a brain how the Holocaust went down. They weren't all passionate Jew killers. There were plenty of useful idiots just like this dimwit. And they roam among us. It's absolutely despicable. Yeah, I know this is that you this is this particular guy was in the UK, but it's too good not to share. But trust me, the same exact idiocy exists right here in this country. And it's it's frightening. It's dangerous. So uh, where where do we go from here, right? What is this? There's a there's a new national poll that came out, Signal, which is a, uh, a very accurate private polling f uh, firm. They've they've come out said uh, Muslim Americans say Hamas was justified in attacking Israel. Majority of Americans say Iran should be held accountable. Majority support Israel's right to self defense. And here now, I've got to put a button on what I was saying earlier. And I, tomorrow, on this program, I'm, I'm, I'm likely going to have Matt Brooks here with me. Matt is a dear friend, and he's the, he, he's the head of the RJC, the Republican Jewish Coalition, 
who put on this conference this weekend, you know, enormously successful event. But I just want to I'm going to ask him about this because check this out. Since the attacks, the Hamas attacks, have your views and they're they're asking they're asking different groups. Has your views changed on the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? Twenty five point nine percent of Jewish Americans are less supportive of the Democratic Party. Thirty eight point three percent of Jewish Americans are less supportive after these attacks of the Republican Party. Support for the Republican Party since the attacks by Hamas among Jewish Americans have actually gone down. This is astonishing to me because it's the Democratic Party that continues to make despicable apologies for Hamas. All right, when we come back, I'll get into the politics of everything I witnessed this weekend. Don't go anywhere. You do not want to miss this. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Yes, I was in the room. I was right there. I was two rows away from Pence when he gave up the ghost. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, had a spectacularly, uh, well, heavy and at the same time enlightening experience at the RJC uh, Leadership Conference this weekend here in Las Vegas at the Venetian. So I, as you might imagine, I attend a fair amount of political events, and uh, this one is, is, a, is a special event, my first time attending. And I, I sure picked uh, the right time to do it. I committed to it well before October 7th, incidentally. And I think there was even some talk about, well, the RJC is a Republican Jewish coalition. Now, the CEO is Matt Brooks. Matt will be here with me tomorrow. So I'm going to have him on the show. I have a few questions for him. He'll, he'll, so you don't want to miss it. Matt is a very connected guy in D.C. and, uh, and certainly very influential and a, and a great conservative. So I'm. Uh, I'll have Matt on, but but you know, I, it was. It's a kind of a must-do event, but it, of course, against the backdrop of the October seventh attack, given that this is the Republican Jewish Coalition, uh, it, there was, um, well, it was it was very meaningful. So who did we hear from? I'll tell you the order of speakers on Saturday morning um, is as follows, and I thankfully I took notes so I'd remember what order they, they, they showed up Vivek Ramaswamy gave the opening address and it was well he, listen he walked in and he got booed I mean the boos in the audience were oh felt bad for him and, and by the way I admire Vivek for coming to the Republican Jewish Coalition and actually saying that perhaps we shouldn't fund Israel as much as we do that takes some chutzpah. Can I can I say it that way, Robbie? A guy walks. He, he's got a. He's got. He's got balls. I'll give him that. Now, Ramaswamy made a very important point that went right over everybody's head because everybody just heard no funny for Israel, which I don't think is realistically the right solution here. I, that's not the answer. So I I disagree with Vivek on this, but let me put a pin in that. But. He said something that no other candidate said. In all the stupid rah-rah speeches that we heard, 
Now, some of them were very good. I'll tell you which ones were great and which ones were bad. But Vivek made a very important point, and that is, you know, the the aid that Israel gets from us here in the you know the United States comes with strings attached. Anytime you get money from anybody, you know this right fundamentally. Why did I, for example, move out of my house and get off my parents' insurance and 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 go out on my own? Because I was sick and tired of having my parents tell me what I could and couldn't do. And I'm you know I'm not that person. I like to be independent. So you know when when you get when you get significant foreign aid your benefactor has control. There is a sense that Israel has held back so far in part because Team Biden is telling them to hold back. How many times throughout history are there critical moments where Israel ought to go in scorched earth against Hamas against the the PLO, whoever, and don't because they're told by whatever flavor of the week political movement there is in this country to be still and be chill. It happens. And so that was, you know, the self-determination element. This was a, a powerful message that Vivek had that I don't think people heard. By the way, Mark Levin was sitting right in front of me at this event. I thought Mark's Head was going to explode. Mark looked like he was going to blow up. The man, I've never seen a more irate, curmudgeonly uh, guy. And I know he's. you guys are going to hear from him immediately after me, so I've got to be careful because <laughs> I like Mark. I like him. I like Levin. I like him, but he, oy vey, Robbie, he just, the whole, and then when he had an opportunity to give some remarks of his own, which he did at lunch uh, that day, yes, it was at lunch, so maybe an hour afterwards, he basically burned Ramaswamy to the ground. I mean, it was, and a, and a lot of what Levin said was a, a little, a, a bridge too far. And he's a smart guy. He understands nuance, and I feel like he missed a very important part of this. Because historically, there are plenty of moments in time where Israel has had to moderate at its, at it, at its own expense, right? At, at an expense to its security, catering to, you know, daddy America. And I, I, hate, I mean, I hate to even put it in, the, in such primitive terms, but, but that's, that's, that was the point Ramaswamy was making. So Ramaswamy gets up there. He, again, the guy's got, Got, he's got huevos because he goes up there. He gives the speech. He gets, um, he he gets criticized. Right, gets booed. He gets through the speech. It's a powerful speech. He leaves the podium and then he goes out into the into the lobby and proceeds to talk for an hour and change with people with anybody that wants to come up to him. Look, I'm just saying you don't have to agree with the guy, but you can accept the fact that he's. Uh, got a, got a, got a, he's operating with the with with balls of brass. Okay, I mean that's that's what I'm I'm just saying that. So I admire that in him. Now the speaker after uh, after Ramaswamy, this is where it all got. Um, well, oh Tim Scott, yeah Tim Scott was the next guy. He sounds look Tim Scott. Tim's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Some of you love him. I get it. 
If you don't like to, if you're the kind of Republican that doesn't want to offend a single person, Tim Scott's your guy. He is, you know, people are, people, he's the guy, people are, you know, if they're, it's like arguing over condiments and along comes Tim Scott and he's like mayonnaise, you know, or butter or something, just nondescript. So he gets up there and he sounded, he was so theatrical. He sounded like a preacher, like a preacher man. So it was fine, but not memorable. It was not a memorable speech. And then, folks, I had to use the bathroom. I'm not going to lie. I'd had a lot of water. I'd had a lot of coffee. I was um, I was in desperate need to relieve myself. And so it is, it was, I was ecstatic to see Chris Christie come up on stage because... <laughs> Well, that was my thing. I could, I could leave, and I, I wouldn't miss a thing. I, 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 I polite. It was right at the front, so you got to be kind of careful because everybody's looking at you and they can see. You. I, I did. I, I squeezed myself out of there. Chris Christie, towering over me up there on the stage. Um, went to the bathroom, came back. I didn't miss a thing. Late into the lady next to me, I said, "What did I mess here? Anything? Uh, anything important? Absolutely not." Christie, Christie was defeated. He sounded bored. He sounded it was vacuous, and I, I got more than half of the speech. All right, so I'm leaving that there. Then came uh, Burgum, Doug Burgum. Producer Robbie has an affinity for Doug. I got to tell you, forget a speech for a minute. Robbie, I have a funny story. I haven't told you this story yet, so I get to tell you this live on air, um, and um, and you can you can laugh at me from behind the glass. So, okay, so get this. So Burgum delivers a speech. He hobbles up on stage. He's got the boot, you know. So he's hobbling on stage. He gets up on there, and he delivers a fine speech. His um, completely unmemorable, but a fine speech. Uh, as as what would be the Gen Xers would call it mid, right? Is that mid? Just not not high, not low. Just it was a fine speech. But the the funny part, Robbie, the funny part is that flash forward to that night, they brought in at for one of the events, they brought in like a, a comedian to come in and, and sort of liven us up after we'd been depressed for, you know, much of the afternoon. And this the comedian had been seated next to Doug Burgum for a I don't know, for a period of time. And Doug Burgum, Burgum became his, like, um, he became his prop goy, right? He became the comedian's prop non-Jew. And, and it was funny, right? You know, I mean, I was funny. I wasn't much in a laughing mood after all the somberness of everything, but... But it was funny, and and you know, and and oh, this is what Jewish people do, and this is what you know, this is what what Gentiles do, and so you know, there was this. Yeah, it was a Gentile, a dog, my Gentile, you know. Well, I found out after from a couple people that Burgum was not pleased about this; that he was actually like butthurt with all the jokes. And the consensus around the table. I'm sitting with you know mega donors, big Republican donors, people you would know. And the consensus is like, give me a break. You want to be president of the United States? You can't take a freaking joke. Like, so I, maybe it was his funny bone that got damaged <clears throat> in his foot and is in, in casted. But that was a funny. Okay, so I got to take a break. Robbie, I'll get to the to the meat. So after after Burgum, 
at the RJC this weekend, right here in Las Vegas, we had Pence get up on stage. Now, don't worry. I've, I've got you covered on Pence. I will tell you how this whole thing went down. I was in the room when he bowed out. Um, funny. I've never, I'll, let me tell you this. I'll, uh, this is the preview to it. I have never in my life of political speeches and everything I've ever witnessed have seen the mood shift as quickly and as suddenly as it did in that in that room that day. I'll explain when we come back. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Sam Merjofsky here behind the What's Right microphone, coming to you live and local from beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Now, uh, I'm recounting to you the events of Saturday. I attended the RJC, the Republican Jewish Coalition Leadership Summit here at the Venetian. We had several Republican candidates for president come down and speak to us, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, yes, Scott, uh, yeah, 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 he came, uh, Christie came, Burgum. I was just mentioning before the break that Burgum, uh, Burgum made the mistake, I guess, of lingering longer at the event. Most of these candidates, they come in, they give a speech, they, they do a little meet and greet, say hi, and then they, you know, make for the door. And Al Burgum stayed for dinner. And I guess he'd been he'd been seated with the comedian that was going to be delivering the whole stand up bit at the end of the event, and the comedian uh, had a chance to you know identify Bergam as a non non Jew as a as a friendly Gentile ally of the Republican Jewish Coalition of which I am one as well. Have to be noted for the record, but I didn't make the mistake of sitting next to the comedian. So Burgum did and proceeded to then get roasted on stage anytime a reference was made to a Gentile or as uh, is sometimes in Yiddish referred to as a goy. And, uh, and Burgum, uh, had it be known to people around him, I found this out later, was not necessarily too appreciative of said ribbing. I mean, somebody leaned into me and asked, where, where is he the governor of? And I, I said, I think Alberta, Canada. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's, um, he was fine. He's okay. He's not going anywhere. Pence gets up on stage. Now, ah, uh, where do I go on this? First off, when Pence began speaking, I texted somebody, I texted a friend of mine, I said, Pence is like a glitchy automaton. You know, it's like if Pirates of the Caribbean or, you know, a conversation with Mr. Lincoln at Disneyland, if it, if it, if it got a Y2K bug, right? If, 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 the, if Disneyland got infected by ransomware, that is what you would end up with, Mike Pence. Uh, it's, it's almost uncomfortably bad to watch Mike Pence speak. And this room this room in terms of support, if you had to really play it out there, uh, maybe one person or two people or 10 people for Vivek. Um, 
I don't know, 0.5 people for for Chris Christie. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Scott Tim Scott gets a few. Nikki Haley, yes, Nikki Haley had some had some fans in the audience. I'm not gonna lie, some some fans in the audience. So if people go Nikki, right? But maybe just a few loud ones. Where am I going with this? Oh, it's it's like the room is 90% Trump. That's where I'm going with this. It's 90%. No, okay, maybe maybe 75% Trump and the, the rest mostly um, is DeSantis. So, Pence was, um, people were not excited about Pence. I mean, even though he put up videos of himself opening up the uh, the new Israeli the U.S. embassy in in in, um, in Jerusalem and, and a lot of pro-Israel stuff he put up in his little well you know walk-on video, kind of to warm up the crowd. It he was not a welcome person. This was this was let's be biblical here. This was Judas. All right, and so Pence gets up there, starts talking, and people are just they're leaving. They're they're getting up now. I had already taken my bathroom break because Chris Christie gave me an opening for that. So. I was I was all good and fine and dandy, so I'm just gonna sit through the entirety of Pence's speech against my better judgment. And that's when Pence delivers the line. That's when it's that's when lightning struck. Okay, and here's how it went down. I'm gonna play it for you. This is this is the this is the moment that he dropped out. Last June I announced my intention to seek the Republican nomination for president of the United States because I believe this country's in a lot of trouble. But the Bible tells us that there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And traveling across the country over the past six months, I came here to say it's become clear to me, this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Now I'm leaving this campaign, but let me promise you, I will never leave the fight for conservative values, and I will never stop fighting to elect principled Republican leaders to every office in the land. Now, let me tell you something. You can't, you, there's no microphone in the audience. So what this, this, from being in the room, I can tell you, from being in the room versus hearing it here, seeing the, the clip, um, the, the crowd, first there was a gasp. And then there was jubilation. It was that people were so happy he had dropped out. People were, the Trump people were ecstatic. The, all the other people, everybody was ecstatic. Pence, you know, uh, Pence could have gone in and, and, and there's nothing Pence could have said that would have raised the mood of that room better than what he did. And, People began. You can faintly make it out in the in the microphone here when we play the clip, but it. it I'm telling you, immediately there was a there was jubilation. He got a standing ovation at the end. Everybody was excited. They clapped for Pence. They clapped for the fly that sat on Pence in that one debate. They clapped for his wife. They, I mean, they just. I mean, it was. And then you know, Charlie Chaplin came with a little hook and a cane and pulled him off the stage. No, I'm kidding. That didn't happen, but it might as well have. So this is this is how it went now. After Pence, after all that was done, I think one of the stars of the of 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 the of the day. I, I'll tell you the standout for me, Ramaswamy's speech, whether you agree with it or not, Ramaswamy's speech was was phenomenal. 
and extremely brilliant and really dense. I mean, it was dense in material and in ideas. But I have to tell you, the moment that DeSantis walked on stage, down came the teleprompters, and DeSantis delivered an absolutely phenomenal performance. It was remarkable. In fact, I sat there the whole time DeSantis was speaking. I thought, where, 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 where is this? This, this? this is the guy that needs to be on the campaign trail. I, I, I don't know. He, he, the man can't help himself because it's, it was so good. It was so good. So I, I'll, get, I'll get a little bit into the DeSantis remarks here in a moment. Uh, we'll come back. I got I to gotta bottom of the hour here. Got to take a break. There's a lot to cover, folks. I'm not going to get to everything. And I'll, I will tomorrow have Matt Brooks here on the program. We'll talk to him about his uh, reactions to Matt Brooks, CEO of the RJC. Uh, he's still in town, so I'll have him on then. Um, all right, don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show with Sam Rachofsky. Me, we'll continue in a moment. Brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings, friends. Sam Rajovsky here, your host of the What's Right Show, otherwise known as Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. That's me. This hour brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, the only law firm to trust for your personal injury case. Hire attorneys that share your values and will fight for you. And also just guide you, give you good advice. Don't trust the insurance company. They're busy figuring out what their ESG score needs to be and not that concerned about doing the right thing and standing by you. Trust me. So even if it's just a claim against your own insurance company, get some help, get some advice. Call Sam and Ash because you deserve what's right. 702-820-1234. So I was, had the pleasure of attending the RJC, Republican Jewish Coalition Leadership Summit this weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, um, you know who was very unpopular in this group of people, Robbie? The squad the squad, uh, Senator Norm Coleman called them the Hamas caucus, which I kind of liked. I I think I want to start calling them the Hamas harem. You know, I is well, they just perfectly willing to be hoed out for any you know progressive cause, particularly one that involves killing of Jews. So I'm I'm all for it. So anyway, the Hamas harem. But Norm Coleman called them the Hamas caucus. Well, anyway, I'm just telling you. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, delivered the first mark. I want to, because I know Mark's going to come on here in 24 minutes, and he's going to, his veins are going to bulge on his neck over how much he detests Ramaswamy. The reason I tell you this is because I have a preview of his show on Saturday. Plus, while Ramaswamy was speaking, uh, he was right in front of me. Now, I love Levin. Great fan. If I could have half his brain, I would be, uh, I'd have it made in the shade. But he's, we don't have a lot of, we don't have full alignment on every issue. So it's funny when he was delivering his criticisms of Ramaswamy, I, I, there's some agreement that I had with him. 
You know, I don't, I don't think we can just close the borders and become America in 1930. I, I, I don't think so. I agree with him on that. I do think that I, I like, for example, Trump's America first approach. I, I like being judicious in our foreign involvement. And it has to be narrowly tailored to suit our U.S. interests. That's what I want our government to do. It doesn't mean withdrawing right completely, and that's not even necessarily the – that is not necessarily the position that Ramaswamy has. But nonetheless, th- there's one particular point in the speech that was really powerful and that deserves to be played. And it was when Israel – what you know, when Ramaswamy said – Vivek Ramaswamy said what Israel ought to do. And so this was Saturday morning at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and this is uh, what he said, what Vivek Ramaswamy said. Israel, we believe in your birthright, and I have full confidence that if left unrestrained, the IDF will be able to get the job done of defending Israel. I know they can do it. I personally hope for a successful in-and-out operation. I would love nothing more than for the IDF to put the heads of the top 100 Hamas leaders on stakes and line them up on the Israel-Gaza border as a sign that October 7, 2023 will never happen again, and then to use all of those saved resources to build the border defenses of the future. But that is Israel's decision to make, not ours. That is what David Ben-Gurion would tell Israel to do. That is what George Washington would tell the United States to do. I think Israel needs us. That's my take. However, the Vake is making a great and very important point that all the aid that we give Israel often comes with strings attached. Now, when the president is Donald Trump, well, it's fine because he's going to tell him, Israel, do what you need to do to go take care of those Hamas monsters. But when you have a president like Bill Clinton or you have a president, even a squishy conservative president, let's say like George Bush or H.W., or certainly a guy who hates America and Israel like Obama does, then you've got somebody who constantly, who you owe certain duties to, who is telling you, whoa there, buddy, not so fast. Moderate yourself. And you're going to start to see this. Mark my words, you will start to see rhetoric come out of the Biden administration to that effect. Or they're going to say Israel needs to slow their role and, and they're, they're overstepping and their attack and incursion into, well, it's a counterattack, but attack into Gaza is, is, is now losing proportionality. Just wait, it's going to happen. And then Israel's between a, between a hard, rock and a hard place. If, as long as Republicans stay in the, in the Congress, they'll get the aid. But if that goes away, then they have to start kowtowing to the Democrats. And that's a problem for Israel, an existential problem. So I said, you know, went through this, and then, then um, I, I thought the speech, I thought DeSantis' speech was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Now, following DeSantis, and it's interesting, they had DeSantis, they had to, I think it's because they didn't want DeSantis and Trump running into each other at the uh, in the backstage. But I have no, by the way, I have no inside information. That is just Sam conjecture, okay? But so it was DeSantis and then Nikki Haley came up. Nikki Haley, I, I don't, guys, I don't get it. I know many of you like her. She's, you know, she's a, a, a pleasant lady. She says all the right things for the most part. I just, I, it's, she's not my cup of tea. 
So I'm not, we're not going to get into that here. I thought the speech was okay. Even people that love her that I spoke to in the room thought that it wasn't one of her best speeches. And then came Donaldus Magnificus. <sighs> Folks, I don't know how to say this, but he's the goat, okay? Uh, <laughs> no one enters the room like Trump. He is, he's marvelous. I'm sitting, I've got Mark Levin kind of in front of me here. I got, I got Miriam Adelson over on the side. He comes in, he gives a wink and a little, little gun finger point over to Miriam. He gives, he just comes in, he's just giving waves. Hey, where's my friend Matt Brooks? Acknowledging everybody, right? Working the room perfectly. And then he delivers his speech and it's, it's just, it's, it's classic Trump. Here's how it started. When I'm back in the White House, the United States will stand with Israel all the way, 100%, without hesitation, without qualification, and without any apology. We're not going to be apologizing. We won't be apologizing. We're not going to be apologizing. We will fully support the Israelis in their mission to ensure that Hamas is decimated and these atrocities will be avenged. They will be avenged. In many ways, they'll be avenged. I think even beyond what you're thinking about. So that's without apology. By, by the way, I want to point out a lot of the criticism that's leveled at Ramaswamy was leveled at Trump back in 15 and 16. Robbie, you're nodding on this. You, you know, um, there, there was... There was a piece, and I didn't. I don't have it now in my stack. I thought I had it printed up here, Robbie. The Politico piece. How uh, the Politico? There's a great piece today in Politico about this. Podoritz, John Podoritz. I th no, no, it's not Podoritz. Who is it? When was when was this piece out? Oh, Rich Lowry, and it wasn't today. It was a recent piece, but you sent it to me, Robbie. I saw it. Right, this, this, but this piece that, that Trump is neither an interventionist nor an isolationist, right? That he, the idea is kind of he's striking a, a balance. And uh, the reason that, that, that we were looking at this piece earlier is because, you know, a lot of the criticism against Vivek that he wants to isolate himself and, and, and just sort of, you know, uh, go back to 1930s America, which is what, you know, people like Mark Levin think he wants to do. That was that same criticism was leveled at Trump. And he ended up being, a, like I said, the president in my lifetime with the best foreign policy. He got, he put Iran in a corner. He helped Israel. There, there was peace in the Middle East. He kept, he kept Russia in check. I mean, this is all a matter of record. You can't even dispute this stuff. So I'm just I'm just throwing this out there because it's it's worth noting. Now, uh, the, Trump, of course, goes on talking about Biden's weakness. Joe Biden's weakness caused the attack on Israel, pure weakness and incompetence. Everywhere he goes, Biden's weakness provokes war and death because, as history shows, evil only respects one thing, unyielding strength. You've got to be strong. Otherwise, they're going to be taking over and they're going to be doing things that you wouldn't even believe. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, uh, the Trump doctrine gets uh, well, a little retooling of it here. Uh, let's play 3C. 
If you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. We do not. And we're doing it because we want to start peace. We're not going to start wars, but the wars have to be finished oftentimes before the peace. And if you don't do the wars, the peace doesn't happen. And if you're not going to be tough and ruthless like they are, it's not going to happen. We have to stop it. We have to end it once and for all. Okay. Perfect. Exactly. All right. So this is um, this is exactly right. Now I got to take a break, but it, it's yeah, um, yeah. This this is uh, this was it was it was an absolutely wonderfully wonderfully delivered ad- address. And and by the way, almost on cue, as soon as this conference was over, and we were talking about what never again really means and how never again is now. Almost on cue, the reports came out of Russia. Did you see this? The, uh, the Dag- Dagestan airport, southern Russia. Yeah, let me talk about this here when we come back because um, it's, it's timely and it's, it's something we have to be aware of. It's, this is, and it's, it's, it's only a matter of time that under the leadership of this weak and effete government that we have here at home, scenes like this break out in left-wing blue cities. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Greetings, friends. Sam Marjofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. Your voice of reason in these challenging times. A place to be with you here today, this Monday. I'm sharing some of my reflections on the Republican Jewish Coalition conference I attended this weekend. Um, I, I was I'm going to talk about Dagestan really fast. I I want to mention something that I alluded to earlier. I had a chance to sit down with the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. I really like him. I really really like him. Now, um. Uh, so I a couple of things from that that are important. Um, one, there's a deadline coming up that everybody's been talking about, November 17th. This is when the current CR, continuing resolution, will expire. Now, as soon as it expires, obviously we're back to where we were when this whole mess got kicked off and, and Kevin McCarthy lost the confidence of the full membership of the, of, of the, of the Republican conference. So th- there's... And I, I don't want to betray some things that were confidentially said to me in this meeting, but here's the broad strokes of it. Because members understand that Mike Johnson is new on the job and also because he is acting in good faith, some of the more hawkish members of Congress, Republicans, are willing to sign on to a, another short-term CR in order to give Johnson time and the new House leadership time to rework the budget. And I think some of this is being earned in part because these single subject spending bills are already making their way through and getting approved, like the energy bill that we saw on Thursday. So this is, um, this by the way, uh, let's see here, Maria Bartiromo, Sunday, shortly after Mike Johnson spoke to us, uh, and I had a chance to meet him, on Saturday he spoke with Fox News, Maria Bartiromo, and this is what 
he said. Well, listen, we're going to move a standalone Israel funding bill this week in the House. I know uh, our colleagues, our Republican uh, colleagues in the Senate uh, have a similar measure. We believe that that is a pressing and urgent need. There, there are lots of things going on around the world uh, that we have to address, and we will. Uh, but right now, what's happening in Israel uh, takes the immediate attention, and I think we've got to separate that and get it through. I, I believe there'll be bipartisan support for that, and I'm going to push very hard for it. Now, the, the way that the Republicans are paying for this aid is they're offsetting it with a cut to the IRS. I'm told this will be a no-go on the Dem side in the, in the Senate, so we'll, it'll set them off for a little showdown. But clearly, um, you know, this, this, is, this is exactly what Gates and all the spending hawks wanted. They wanted single-subject spending bills, and they did, did this with the, you know, with the energy and infrastructure bill that happened last week. Now, another thing that I learned that's fascinating is that, you know, like like everybody's talking about how the house, the house is is house in disarray and Republicans in chaos. Republicans have already passed seventy percent of the necessary spending. They've already gotten those bills through. Guess what percentage, Robbie, of those bills that the house has passed have been approved, have been have been passed through the Senate? Zero. So the Democrat-led Senate, every time that hack Senate Majority Leader, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer gets up there and says, well, the Republicans are in disarray and ah. That guy hasn't done anything. He's holding it all up. So it's all posturing. So I just wanted to let you know that you know the Republicans, in spite of all these problems, have gotten seventy percent of the of the budget. They've they've gotten chewed through it. And my assessment of Mike Johnson is: yes, he's a religious guy. He's getting some flack for it. I'm I'm a I'm a fairly secular person. That said, this person, this this guy, is so incredibly affable that I believe he will be tremendously capable at bringing Republicans together and getting concessions and, and, and getting support. That combined with the fact that he is unapologetically conservative. So I think he's, I think he's right. And, and uh, the other observation I have, and I have no particular answers or, or intel on this, but to all of you in the World War III camp, many of the people I sat with and I talked to, I'm not going to reveal private conversations, but I, you know, I had an opportunity to sit next to Lindsey Graham at dinner. All these Republican senators and congressmen have been doing a tremendous amount of shuttling back and forth in the last month since October 7th between Israel and Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Now, the reason for this is I'm, I'm now I'm going to tell you what my, you know, just kind of high level of this is that. It's no big secret that Mohammed bin Salman, the all intense ruler of Saudi Arabia, MBS is how they refer to him, is not particularly pro-Hamas or pro-Palestinian. His public pronouncements are meant for domestic and regional consumption. But privately, he is absolutely, uh, you know, once Israel <laughs> take care of us, none of these Middle Eastern sovereigns want Hamas to spread or get out of control. If you asked them quietly and off the record to give their opinions, they would tell you they would want nothing more than Gaza wiped off the map. They're not threatened by Israel. Israel doesn't have territorial claims. They don't, Israel's not going to take over Saudi Arabia. 
But Hamas would want nothing more than to destabilize some of these monarchies in the region, including Jordan. So make no mistake about it, Hamas is a cancer. Everybody understands this. And they're not doing what they're not doing what Kamala Harris is doing. Hey, you gotta make a distinction between Hamas and Palestinians. They don't want a single Palestinian in Saudi Arabia. They don't want a single Palestinian in in Egypt. They don't want a single one of these people in, you know, in, in Lebanon, in um in, in Jordan, anywhere. They're not interested. They get it. And why are they not interested? Well, they see the scenes in Dagestan. Look at this. The airport terminal overrun by people looking, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of, of people described as a lynch mob looking for Jews. Imagine the scene as an airplane lands from Tel Aviv, lands from Tel Aviv, and they storm the tarmac looking for people that are Jews to kill. Now, everybody's reacting to these clips that are spreading on social media, and they're saying, wow, this is just horrendous. This is, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, 1938, 1936, all over again. How much, how much more wild is this really in terms of orders of magnitude? How much worse is this than some of these scenes spreading across this country? my point is we're not too far from this we have violence being threatened against Jewish members of student groups colleges, universities Jewish businesses Jewish individuals I'm going to remember who stood up and who didn't I'm going to remember this and so will you because right now is the time that we speak up Right now is when we say never again. Right now is when we say never again is now. If we don't do it, no one will. Sam Marjofsky, be back tomorrow. Look forward to talking to you then.